So, uh, if, you're, if you're new this week, this is a good time for you to come because we're starting a new series, in, uh, uh, a series on the book of Philippians. If you don't know where that is, it's a small little book. It's a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to a little community he started up in the, a city called Philippi in Greece. We're going to be studying that book verse by verse over the next five weeks. And um, usually at the beginning of the sermon, you just kind of see a cool slide with a neat image and the title of the sermon. Well, when you, if you don't know this, when you see this slide at the beginning, that means I haven't come up with the title yet. <laughs> so my, my, my third child, Ethan, he didn't have his name for 48 hours after he was born. So I suppose we can go without a, a week without a title. <laughs> Anyway, that's what that is. Um, but basically, we're looking through Philippians, and we're, we're looking for something specific. We're looking for some teaching that the book has to offer on relationships, the relationships that we have in life. Now, we all have relationships, right? We have our um, families of origin that we come from, our, our mothers, our fathers. We have our brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. Uh, we have professional relationships, best friends, dating relationships, spouses, uh, acquaintances, all across uh, the, the map, we have relationships. We are relational beings. God made us that way. God made our communities that way. And we can't avoid, if we're human, being in relationships. And as a pastor, I get to be in the front row seat of many of your relationships, which sometimes is a bit scary, but other times is awesome and beautiful. And it reminds me about how complex relationships are. It reminds me of my own complex relationships. I'm here going to try to open up this idea of, of relationships and the type of love which, as Christians, really fuels good relationships. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'm standing up here probably uh, some of the worst among you of relationships. It's taken me a long, long time to figure out how to be a good friend, a good son, a good husband. So um, we're talking about relationships in general, and I'm going to be... Um, giving you some stuff that I've, I've learned over the course of my, my days. Um, but as, I, as, I'm a, as I'm a pastor, as I get to see the front row of, of your, some of your relationships unfolding, you know, a lot of what I hear in, in when people say, Pastor, pray for me, Keith, pray for me, or here's what I'm going through, I hear these kind of things. Help me in my friendships. Help me to be a gracious mom or a gracious spouse. Help me, I've just ruined a relationship that, and it's never going to recover. Or help me with my friends at school. Sometimes I hear our youth talking about how hard it is at school to, to form friendships. Or what do I do with loneliness or sorrow? Um, or you hear this one, even in my most intimate relationships, I feel so alone. I don't know if you've ever felt that or, or heard that. Or what do I do with the pride? the pride that's ruining my relationships, or um, what about my rejection? I feel so forgotten, or I am feeling disposable. I had one person tell me that. I feel so disposable. It just breaks my heart. I mean, I, I understand how, how we can come to feel that way, but what a, what, a, what a broken kind of feeling that, I mean, it's not a broken feeling, but a broken reality that, that we can feel come to feel disposable. Or what about betrayal or... Um, or the question I heard once was, how do I, how do I suffer willingly uh, for a relationship that I'm struggling to love them? You know, I'm struggling even to want to be in this relationship anymore, but I'm feeling called to, called to it. What do I do about this? Or help me with my family, my, 
My family is, is, is falling apart. There's so much anger that lives within my family. You can hear all these things as, as a pastor, and you realize that, okay, there's, there's lots to, to grieve over here. Relationships as we have them are broken. And if you look at other people and assume that their relationships are peachy and going well, well, you've got to look closer. Or you've got, uh, you got to listen harder because each one of us sitting in this room, I guarantee you, could stand up here and talk about the state of their relationships, and, and it would be a struggle. We could see struggle in all of our lives. So as Christians, here's the thing. We have the same problems as everyone else in the world when it comes to relationships, and they're difficult. Um, but we're supposed to approach our relationships as Christians with love, with the type of love that Jesus inspired of, inspired in, in us, which the love which he inspires in us is very, very different than the love that we find in the world. So um, we have as Christians actually some resources here in Jesus' teachings, in Paul's teachings about love that many, many people don't. So I'm going to try to open some of that up for us in the next many weeks. Now don't hear me wrong here, hear me right. Um, there are many, many Christians who are bad at relationships. And there are some people who aren't Christians that are really good at relationships. But if we're bad at relationships and Christian, doesn't mean Christianity's not working. It means that we've got some learning to do. We've got some reimagining to do about what Jesus might ask of us when it comes to having relationships with the people around us. So for the next few weeks, probably five or so, I'm counting about five weeks out, and that actually very uh, strangely is getting us close to the end of November getting us towards the uh, Christmas time. But for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about relationships. And to help us get there, we're going to study Philippians. I don't know if you've ever read this little letter by Paul to the Philippians. There's so many good kind of memorable little nuggets that come out of Philippians, like for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul says somewhere. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves. And you can see just in that little nugget of teaching, we could open that up to talk about our relationships. What does that mean there? Uh, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. If you've seen that one, maybe put on the bottom of an email. Someone, some people sign their emails like with Bible verses. I've seen this one before. Continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Um, and this one, you might, you might know. You might not know it comes from Philippians, but it does. Do, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I could probably just read this over and over again as it penetrates into our reality. We'll get to this verse uh, in a couple weeks. Um, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. I, even I, can, I can't quote this quite yet because we hear it all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which means like... Um, you know, it's a mistranslation. <laughs> That's not what the actual Philippians says. Philippians doesn't say, go out and do anything you want because Christ will give you strength and he'll... That's not what this says. Paul's talking about learning to be content even when he has uh, little, when he when, when finds himself in a situation where he's got scarce resources to live upon. He can find contentment. And when he's in abundance, he can find contentment too. He's not going to let his abundance be an idol for him. And he says, how can I do this? I can do all that 
through Christ who strengthens me. So we'll get to this one, and this one famously gets misquoted. Uh, but you can see Philippians has a lot to offer us here, and we've got a lot to look forward to. But in particular, of all the pastoral advice that Paul gives, and that's really what Philippians is about. He's, uh, I'm going to tell the story just in a little bit, but he's, his, his interest here is to, to write to a community of people who he's left He's planted the church. He's left on to uh, go do other, other things for God. And he's writing back, giving them pastoral advice. How to relate with God. How to relate and love one another. Um, find meaning in their suffering. Grow in love. To be ready for Jesus' return. Like all these things are what he's after here. But in all of it, in all of this teaching, we have get this little beautiful song in chapter two, we call it the Christ hymn. So, you know, we just sang a bunch of songs this morning, four songs so far, and we kind of know them. They're kind of, uh, we're used to them. But Philippians records the early, one of the earliest Christian worship songs. And it's about Jesus and, and taking on the form of a slave and taking upon the form of a servant. And then submitting himself even to a cross, but then being raised. And they would have known this song. They would have sung this song, and it would have been uh, the thing that they worshiped to. And at the very beginning of this song is this piece of advice about relationships. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. There's a lot going on in that sentence. We'll get to that. Uh, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. And in this verse, we'll, we're going to take our cue from this, really, this one little verse um, about asking the questions about what Christ's love have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Okay, what, what is that attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had? This becoming a servant, didn't consider grasping after Godhood. Uh, what, how, how are we to have that same attitude and that same mind grow in us? And how in our relationships with one another does that work out? In our friendships, in our work relationships, in our family relationships, and even for our online relationships. How does the love of Christ work in our relationships? And what we'll do is we're going to take some lessons that we learn uh, from, from Jesus' image, Jesus' ministry, from Paul's writing. And we're going to talk a little more specifically in these sermons on practicalities. So we talked a little bit in the last series on forgiveness. So we're going to talk about more practicalities of forgiveness about why giving people the benefit of the doubt in our relationships is the most Christ-like thing we can do. Um, why is it so important that we own our own, our, our own issues, to be transparent about our own issues that we're bringing to the table in any relationship? And how do, how do we go about doing that? Well, what about um, how do we properly communicate with one another in our relationships when we've been let down or hurt or wounded? What is the most servant like Christ-like version of that? Or what do we do with our loneliness? How do we take our loneliness and filter it through a Christ-like lens and make sure we enter into relationships with that rather than with our own power and strength? Or how does belonging work? We, we all belong, want to belong to someone, 
How does belonging work in relationships when you think about Christ-likeness? Or how do we just simply take time with the people that we want to belong to? So I'm, I'm going to try to take us almost straight to the ground, hopefully to the ground, in our relationships and talk about practicalities. And I'll do some teaching on Philippians, but we're also just going to get into some wisdom on relationships and how they function and make sure that we're entering our relationships as Christians uh, with, with this in mind. And it's going to be more of a verse-by-verse. Verse. I'm not going to be able to talk about every verse, but it's going to be more of a verse-by-verse verse kind of teaching. If, you're, if you've been at Grassroots for a little bit here, you'll realize that I, I like to do big sweeps of teaching, you know, big sweeps of, of ideas and themes. Well, I'm going to just sort of shift gears a little bit and try something different and, and do a little more verse by verse. So if you are someone who likes to follow along with the sermon series for the next five weeks, you can just read Philippians over and over and over and over again. It'll take you like 20 minutes to read. So get in and dig into Philippians and follow along. But what we're after here uh, is looking for the, the love of God in Christ Jesus. And how Paul gives us very practical teachings on taking up ourselves, or sorry, taking up our crosses, denying ourselves, and following Jesus' way. So let's just jump in here, the beginning of the letter. This is the first verse of Philippians, how Paul opens his letter. And if you, if you didn't know, I've said it a few times, but if you didn't know, this is a letter that... Um, that we have the, the grace of having. I mean, it's like, think of, think of the fact that, you know, if you send a letter through the mail and you, you, know, you send it to someone, and um, it's, like someone's, it's like someone getting that letter be, uh, before the, the other person does. You know, like, it's, let's say you sent a letter to your mom and someone gets that letter in the mail and they open it up and they've intercepted your mail. That's what this is like when we read Philippians. It's, this was, it's like reading someone else's mail a letter someone wrote to someone else. And so that's the nature of this. And, and the reason why that's important is because some people like to approach these letters as if they're um, theology tracks, as if they say everything. And we can get into a bit of confusion about who Paul was or what he meant if we think that he's trying to say everything. He's not trying to say everything. He's saying just a very few things to encourage these, these believers. So here we go, the beginning. Paul and Timothy, that's the way of saying who it's from. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read, you read ancient letters, and there's lots of ancient letters that we have as humans and as civilization, pretty much they start like this. Who it's from, who it's to, and a bit of a grace and peace uh, offering. Now, and I think that the, the thing that we've got to begin with here uh, in this greeting is the first obstacle that really can uh, prevent us from hearing what Paul has to say, which is Paul himself. I don't know if you notice this or you see this, but Paul is someone that some people like to roll their eyes at. Like, oh, Paul, he's got a big personality. He's a, difficult to get along with, stubborn probably, uh, maybe a chauvinist. I don't know. You know, we, 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 we think we know Paul, and he's someone that we think of as someone who took all of Jesus' beautiful teaching on God, and then he got a hold of it and turned it into religion. You know, and so it's like, okay, Paul wrote some things, and I, and I hear this as, you know, okay, yeah, but Paul said that, yeah, but you know what, he's Paul after all. And we use this as a way to kind of discredit having to listen to what he has to say. 
And I think that if, if we're doing this, this to me is the, uh, what someone who really hasn't learned about Paul or doesn't understand the ancient world at all thinks. Because um, one of the things, one of the first things that we're going to see in this letter is that Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. He's been imprisoned, and someone from Philippi named Epaphroditus, there's a big old ancient name, Epaphroditus, has come to Paul with a bunch of money from the Philippians. And in the ancient world, when you're in jail, oftentimes uh, your very survival in the jail depended upon your friends and your family coming and bringing you food and slipping it through the, the jail bars. And um, it's, we think of, you know, in our, in our uh, system, our, our punitive system here, every, you go to jail, all of your meals are provided for, everything is provided for. Well, that's not the way it was in the ancient world. And so Epaphroditus has come unbidden by Paul. He didn't ask for it. And he's brought him a bunch of money to take care of him while he's in prison. And the, the reason why this is important is because we see that the Philippians loved Paul. Like they had a deep affection for him. It would be like me... Okay, if we can imagine this, me uh, in, in uh, a decade or so, I've, I've been a pastor here at Grassroots, I've moved on to somewhere, and now I'm in jail <laughs> for whatever reason, I don't know. And you guys taking up a love offering and sending me like $25,000 to help me out. The only reason why you'd do that is because you'd love me. If you didn't love me, you wouldn't be doing that. You'd be saying, good riddance. He's got, what, he's got his comeuppance. That's what he, that's what he deserved. So we can see for, for Paul and his communities, they loved him even after he was gone and were willing to go way out of the way. Epaphroditus took a lot of money along a dangerous road from, uh, from Philippi to probably Ephesus, dangerous road, and risked his life to bring this money to Paul. And they, they really loved him. Oh yeah, I was going to, Show us this. This is uh, uh, Philippians uh, chapter, chapter 3 here. I think it's necessary, says Paul, to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. See that, that affectionate language? My brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you. Epaphroditus is homesick. And is distressed because you heard that he got sick. Indeed, he was sick and almost died. That's how sick he was. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow, Paul says. Which he says, if Epaphroditus had died, I would have been crushed. That you had gone, he had gone out of that way to help me, and has, and has died. You can see the affection here. They loved each other. Paul was in uh, a relationship with these guys, and they were, it, was, it was rich. And therefore, Paul says at the end of his little writing on Epaphroditus, therefore I am the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. This is not the language of like some socially awkward control freak. <laughs> uh, it's language of someone who had deep affection for the people that he was serving. But here's the other thing. Okay, if that's point one about why we shouldn't dismiss Paul too quickly... The other thing is this, and I'm not going to go too, too off on this because this is going to get really heady on you. I'll probably put a link on the Grassroots Community Facebook page if, you've, if you're on there. There's a really cool podcast that's out right now with a guy named N.T. Wright, who is a biblical scholar and uh, a theologian, and an atheist historian. 
And this atheist historian is making the case that Paul is the founder of everything we know of as our society today. He's a historian of the ancient Greeks and ancient Romans. And let me tell you, friends, they were ruthless. They would, like, kill millions of people at a time to take over their land and boast about it. If, if our civilization hadn't had Christianity inserted into it, that's the civilization we would be today. And the reason why we're not that kind of society is because Jesus came along and showed us a different way of love. And Paul came along and wrote these, well, we, we, we know for sure that he penned seven different letters and his followers, his close followers, penned the rest of them that we have in the New Testament. So let's just talk about the seven. Even if we had the seven that he wrote, it, it, was, it was him. These are, just, these are the things which have changed the course of history. Everything we know about human rights, human dignity, and human worth come from Christianity, and Paul especially. So um, if sometimes you'll hear Paul being kind of being flogged because you know, he talk, said some weird things about uh, about women, weird things about slaves, and we think, okay, well, well, Paul, he must have been a chauvinist or someone who we don't have to listen to. Um, actually, no, it's the other way around. He's, he set the trajectory that allows us to understand human dignity today as we know it. So there's all that. I'll just move on from that. But the point is that his people loved him. He set the trajectories for our civilization today, everything we know about human dignity. And if that's not enough for you, Jesus Christ himself came to Paul and chose him to be his messenger. <laughs> like came on the road to Damascus, blinded him because he was a violent, uh, zealous Pharisee who was killing Christians because of their belief. He, Jesus said, I'm going to choose this one. I'm going to blind him to show him how blind he is to the ways of, of my heart. And I'm going to set him off as my first greatest messenger of my message. If all of that shouldn't convince us, we should listen to Paul. The fact that Jesus handpicked him to carry on his message is important for us to know. So, um, if you will, um, people who Paul served loved him. His writings formed the basis of Western values, and Jesus handpicked him. You may think, okay, why, why are you saying that? We're not on your heads. Because people really do want to discredit Paul. They want to not listen to him. But I'm here to say, friends, if there's anything we're doing, we need to be listening to what Paul had said. Uh, plus, if I could add one more thing, he had the Holy Spirit inspiring him as he was writing these letters, and they have our, become our scriptures. Um, so Paul, <laughs> see why I can't go verse by verse? <laughs> that was the first word. <laughs> Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. A little bit about Timothy in case you're interested. Uh, we find out later in the letter that Paul is in jail. He's writing this letter from prison because he's been preaching the good news of Jesus as king in a world where there already was a king. He was in jail for saying these things. And Timothy is his friend who has, uh, and his protege, someone who he, he uh, converted, who he uh, uh, brought the message of Jesus to, who became a believer and became one of Paul's co-workers, um, moving around the ancient Mediterranean world with him. And uh, we find out later in the letter that Timothy is about from prison, is, is going to come deliver the, the letter and is about to give, him, give them some news because Paul wants to come back. 
He wants to come back to Philippi to, um, to be with them some more, to give them some more teaching, to uh, fellowship with them some more. Timothy is going to come back and, and prepare the way, so to speak. So Paul and Timothy, uh, servants of Christ Jesus, to God's, all God's holy people, and all God's holy people in, in Philippi. Just a little other interesting historical note here, that as, uh, as the letter goes on, we see all sorts of people mentioned. We see deacons and overseers. These are people who Paul comes along and starts a church, preaches the, the good news of Jesus as Lord. Christians, are, are, people become Christians. They start a church, and Paul's like, how are we going to hold this thing together? So he chooses the wisest and um, uh, the the most likely candidate of the early young Christians among them to choose them as overseers, people who will help oversee the church and, and make it run and uh, continue to, uh, to teach the truth. So with the overseers and deacons, you have uh, later uh, a couple women in the church who are arguing um, who that Paul's, Paul um, is going to name them by name, and he's going to say, uh, I ask you to be of the same mind. Stop your quarreling. Stop your arguing. Uh, you have all sorts of other people named as well as this guy named Clement, if you read on very carefully, a guy named Clement. And we think this is the same Clement who becomes the, um, one of the leaders in Rome after Peter and Paul die to carry on the message. So early Christianity is a fun, amazing little world, and there's so much that we know about it. Um, and uh, I find it fascinating. So these are the people who Paul was encountering. Um, and... Uh, um, the church is there. We don't know who or how many that are there. It could be a handful. It could be up to, up to 20 or 30 people in this church. And Paul is writing them. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to pen this prayer. He says, I pr I'm praying for you guys. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is, I love you. You are my co-workers. You've just sent me money. Thank you. I'm so thankful for you and our, our, our relationship. Uh, and here's the truth about the God that we serve, that he begins good things in us. He begins to change and transform us, and he begins to take us from our old patterns of life, which destroy us and destroy the world and destroy our relationships. And he begins to, to change us from the inside. You see, society can't be changed by laws. We know that. Society can't be changed because someone makes a law. Society has to be changed because hearts begin to change and be transformed from the inside out. And that's the beauty of the Christian message and what its, its worth is for a society, that we have the source and inspiration of all transformation uh, working within our midst. And, and, the, and the God which begins that transformation just doesn't leave it hanging. We may look like it sometimes. It may look like he's left us to be wandering in the wilderness. But if we pay attention, if we uh, open our hearts we and minds, we realize that he's going to complete that work. He's going to take us from people who don't know anything about the love which, which is in Christ Jesus to people who are mature in the love which is in Christ Jesus. And he's going to do this and bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And if you don't know this, you may not because uh, it's kind of a... a a teaching that, that we get across the scriptures, that we're all waiting for Jesus to come back. 
And we are, as Christians, waiting. Even though it's been 2,000 years and even though that makes us look a little foolish, we all look to the clouds day after day waiting for Christ to return because his promise is that he will come back. And when he comes back, he's going to set his kingdom up on this earth in a way that we've never, in the likes of which we've never seen it before. Uh, it'll be the new day that, um, uh, that Jesus Christ will come. So you'll, you'll hear this in Philippians over, get, get ready for the day. I hope you're ready for the day because if we're sleeping, if we're acting like, like we're not Christians, if we're destroying the world rather than building it up, it's going to come and it's going to surprise us. And we have to be ready. And so this is the, 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 the belief structure which allows us to continue to keep on our toes, to keep growing. And Paul says it's when, when we think about Jesus Christ coming back, the wrong Christian response is to sit back and just sort of lazily wait. Okay, he's coming, he's coming soon, so might as well do nothing. That's not the way early the Christians, early Christians understood it. Jesus Christ is coming, so let's prepare. Let's do everything we can to get our hearts in this place ready for him. Um, and that's what his teaching here is about. So um, He's going to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. And that's the day that we're all waiting for. And so he goes on. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. I love you. I have deep affection. And it's right for me to feel this way since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains Again, he's in prison, whether he's in the jail cell because of preaching the gospel or whether I'm defending and confirming the gospel, whether I'm out in the marketplaces preaching the good news. Either, in either situation, he says, all of you um, share in God's grace with me. We are together in the knitting together of, of our hearts in the grace of God. And you can see he's still just beginning the letter. He's kind of reminding them that though you haven't seen me in a while and though you may wonder how I feel about you, I love you, and we're together. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, he says. He goes on to pray. This is still chapter one of Philippians. And this is, by the way, some of you don't, like I've, I've heard some of you say, like, why don't you put the, the, the verse numbers, Keith? That would be helpful. And I intentionally don't do that, if you don't know. Because one of the things that we lose track of when we read the scriptures is that these were real people in real history and times and places. And we can say, well, what verse is that? And what verse is that? And we make it this little machine of verses um, that like puff us up in our knowledge. That's not what this is about. I mean, that's good to know Bible verses and what verses. I'm not poo-pooing that. But all this to say, I'm trying to humanize this, to get us into the world, to experience this stuff as it was meant to be experienced. That was an aside. So this is by prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, like it starts out good, but then it gets a bunch of Christianese. That's my first observation. This is my prayer that your love may abound. Okay, we get this. And, but then it starts getting, you discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Okay, well, what does all that mean? And it's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to feel that way. I feel that way. I'm a Bible scholar. I feel, I'm, okay, what, what are we saying here, Paul? Uh, so first of all, let's look at this, about his prayer. His prayer that their love may abound um, more and more. So remember, you know, Christianity, its version of love is difficult. It's not the version of love which is like the feeling which we hope to have. Um, 
It's not a feeling. It's not an affection. Love is so much different than that in the Christian imagination. And Paul is saying it's not a feeling that you can experience. Uh, Love is something that you need to abound in and grow in, in knowledge and depth of insight. We need special work here to grow in, in our understanding of what love is. But this is Paul's prayer. It's, it's his prayer, heart prayer. The beginning of his letter, it's the very point that he's trying to make, that you grow in love. And um, you think that love should be straightforward, right? Like we just get it. It's something that we get and we search after. But it's not naturally what comes out of us. It's not naturally what comes out of us as humans. And so um, he's trying to represent Jesus' way of love. And he's asking that they w- that way may abound. And again, you have this thinking among Christians that Paul was just like this guy who took Jesus' vision of love and kind of made it into church, kind of ruined it a little bit for us. But Paul's saying, I'm taking the very, he's living only, he's, he's, he's teaching and preaching only 20 years after Jesus died. He's saying, I'm taking the baton from Jesus and I'm going to hand it on to you. And Christians for 2,000 years have been handing it on. So Paul's the first person, one of the, one of the first people that gets the baton from Jesus. But it's not an easy love. It's not a straightforward love. And here's what, I, here's what I'm going to say, that um, this series is going to be built on the series that just, I just preached, four sermons on Jesus' vision of love. And if you didn't get to hear those, they're online. You can go listen to it while you're washing dishes or whatever. Um, but if you didn't hear those and you don't go back and listen, I'm going to catch you up anyway. You'll be fine. You can, you'll be able to dig into this series on relationships. But I am going to build upon um, what came before. And part of the reason is because... Um, but there's, there's, uh, there's a lot to rework in our minds about what love is. So um, I'll say it this way. I started off with, with that series asking the question, have you ever felt used like you were a cog in someone else's machine? I think many of us would nod our head to that, going, yep, that's true of me. As a way to get our mind going, the love which is out in the world, the love which we know, or the way that our society is built is different than the love which we know deeply that as, as human beings we deserve and that we need. And so this idea that of self-emptying love, not grasping after fulfillment, is the only thing which really... Um, fulfills us, that if we're after like affections and attractions and intimacy, um, if we're looking for like, if we're in a desperate search for a soulmate or someone who completes us, if love is some sort of external treasure that only the few can find, um, of course we're not going to sort of understand this teaching on self-giving and thinking of others before us. Uh, so we've got to, in the last series, we sort of did what we can to rescue the word love out of those ideas and put it back um, into it. And the reason that's, that's why we have to do this is because if we're on the search for the affection, uh, self-fulfillment kind of love, we're going to be easily connecting our hearts with people who themselves are after their own self-actualization and after their own self-exaltation and after their own... Um, uh, self-righteousness. And you can see what happens when two people hit each other with unlove and these patterns. It just goes poorly and we get lots of brokenness in lots of relationships. And, and that, remember I said, if, if you were here, though we have to have a self 
to give itself away. And though forgiveness is never cheap, we have to, we can never deny the truth. Or, um, and though humans, every one of you, every human being that walks this earth is someone of incalculable worth. I grant you all those things. Even still, the love which we're after is a love that is filled with forgiveness. And taking the lowest place, humbling ourselves, uh, denying ourselves, that's the kind of love that we're after. Um, and that's going to take, as Jesus reminds us, that takes us a massive change of mind and heart. We have a lot of work to do to get ourselves out of that old way of being. And I like this little quote here from Jean Vanier in his book, Becoming Human, of a society which is obsessed with a different kind of selfish love. If we commit ourselves to the making of a society in which we are concerned only with our own rights, then that society must become more and more closed in on itself, where we do not feel any responsibility towards others. There's no reason to work harmoniously towards the common good. What he's saying there is we have to be a society of people with Jesus' kind of love, or it's going to eat itself alive. Um, and I get worried. I, I get a little worried because uh, there are so many good movements of God in our culture today. Justice and the work of justice is becoming prominent, and that's such a good thing. But instead of Christians um, coming to a deep satisfaction in their suffering, I see them rather getting ready to pick up stones self-righteously and begin throwing them at whatever they might hit to tear down some system that needs to be torn down. And when, what we forget when we do that, when we start taking up stones to, to change the world that way, is that we are deeply outside of Jesus' vision of how the world gets changed. The world doesn't get changed that way. The world gets broken that way, Jesus says. And Paul says the same thing. What we need are people who know how to deny themselves, take up their crosses, and follow me. So I say all that because I think it's, um, it's so difficult, so difficult to understand the love which is in Christ Jesus. And when he says, I love you, here's what he means. I will pour myself out for you. I'm not your slave, but I am your servant. I will stay calm when you treat me as if I were a child. I will humble myself. These are some of the things which we talked about in the last series. This is the love of Jesus, which becomes the love of us. Um, so just, I'm going to talk a lot about some specifics when we get to the next few series, but just, here's a few things, just a few tidbits of actual practical advice. Paul was so thankful for his friends in Philippi. Uh, if we want to create good relationships, if we want to create relationships that are other-centered, that are where we take up our cross and follow him, we have to be thankful for them. Now, I think one of the ways that our relationships are the, the, we can turn in our, ourselves in relationships is when we get so disappointed by them. And yeah, we disappoint each other. But how do relationships thrive? We have to be willing to give one another grace. We have not to be clamoring after fulfilling our needs in our friends. And we have regularly to be thankful for them. And how do we do this? Like, how do we show our thankfulness for them? A couple of ideas. Um, Paul wrote them a letter expressing their thankfulness. When's the last time you wrote a letter to someone you want to be friends with? or wrote a letter to someone you are in relationship with, expressing your gratitude for them. Is that something you could do this afternoon? 
Is there some relationship that's struggling, some relationship of yours that's on the rocks? Perhaps you could write a letter to them this afternoon expressing how thankful you are for them in your life or someone that's become distant. Um, uh, believe in them. Stay by their side, even if it's going to cost you something. Remember Epaphroditus. He believed in Paul. Paul was in jail. He believed in him. He took a long journey. It was a costly journey. Sometimes your friends need you just to stand by their side, even if it's going to cost you something. And you, can, you begin seeing how the love of Jesus is in this kind of way of being. I'm not talking, you know, you could, you could do as the world does with friendships. I'm going to invest in you if you invest in me. I'm going to spend time with you if you're interested in spending time with me. That's not how Christian relationships work. Um, we show devotion and loyalty, even in the worst of times. A couple of different, you know, I Googled how do you show thankfulness to friends. You know, donate some money to their favorite charity, perhaps. Um, make a gift for them. I like this one. If your friend is struggling with a chronic disease, learn about it. Learn everything you can know about what they're struggling with. Um, don't just go with the flow of your relationships. Be in your relationships the type of Christ-like presence that you would want them to be for you. Um, be thankful for your friends. Be vulnerable. Be humble. I've got so much more to say today, and I'm out of time. More to come. I'm going to give you some more next week. Um, we're going to talk specifically next week about loneliness and about what to do when our friends have let us down. That's where I'm going to try to, to, to aim into, because that, that's basically what Paul talks about in the next part of Philippians. So I'm not sure exactly what's hitting you today. It's probably different for everyone. I'm not sure uh, what this is meaning for you. But my invitation to you is this. Uh, take a, take a, uh, some time this afternoon. Uh, write a letter to a friend. Uh, get into Philippians this week. Come back for the next five weeks as we dig through Philippians together. Um, but ask yourself one of the central questions. How can I be a self-giving, Christ-like presence in the people with whom I'm in relationship with and see where it goes because that's the kind of package we're an opening, we are opening for us uh, in this time. So as we uh, transition to the final songs, we always have this bread and this juice here. Jesus said, as often as you do this, as often as you remember um, my presence with you in this kind of meal, uh, remember that selfless love is the very thing which allowed him to have his body broken for us, have his blood, sh have blood shed for us. These are the, the, the very acts which make love possible, the only thing which makes true love possible. And he showed us the way, showed us what it looked like, laying his life down for his friends. I don't know if you were singing the song, you were paying attention as the song was being sung about Jesus, you, you, you died for me while I was yet a sinner. You died for me while I didn't deserve it. This is the very thing which we have to be reminded over and over again if we're going to get this deep into our DNA as Christians. And so we come up, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in the juice and, and eat it and digest it as a prayer, as a way of saying, God, I want your way of selfless love woven to my very being. You might come with a prayer. You might come with uh, just a, a shout, a yell in your heart to God. God, here's, I'm angry with you. Whatever you need today, this is a chance. And these final two songs are a chance for you to, to respond 
and to give over to God what he's given to you. So the table is set here, and everyone is welcome.